0: Welcome to the One Body One Life podcast. Hi, I'm your host Dr. Jason Wan, lifestyle physical therapist. I teach everything health and wellness related so you too can have a more resilient body and a more fulfilling life. And today, I've been actually deciding on doing a few of these Q&A episodes. And the reason being is because uh, over the last few months, I've actually grown tr- quite tremendously and it's been really good to see now that I've been on this journey and I've been Flex with Dr. J for well over four years now. I see that there's a lot of people that are commenting either on my reels, in my Facebook group, even email me, emailing me about my podcast and how it's been pretty valuable to their life and allows them to enrich their drive home, if you will, or even their run. So I'm really thankful for all of you guys that have continued to be with me. And it really means a lot. I care less about uh, more so the number of followers but the fact is that when people are actually watching my content and actually absorbing it, utilizing it, and actually it's really helping them to get back towards either a pain-free life or making them feel stronger, it means the world to me. So thank you. And thank you, uh, everybody that is here from the bottom of my heart. Today, I wanted to share a few questions that people had and I wanted to test this episode out. So if you enjoy this type of episode, like definitely let me know, email me, jason at com. Or you can just direct message me or even text me 415-965-6580. Let me know what you think of this episode in terms of just answering your guys' questions. And the first question that I have, and I think it's a great question, is resting a good solution when you're in pain? And the easiest way that I can answer this question is basically saying there is two types of rest. One of them is called absolute rest, and the other one is called relative rest. Absolute might sound quite common or maybe already know. But when people are either in pain, or a lot of times they're tired, will definitely absolute rest. And most people, I wouldn't say most people, but a good majority of people that I do talk to say that when their knee hurts, they rest, they avoid their activities, or they will take a big break from their activities. Or if they hurt themselves while weightlifting, they'll take a big break until that area is fully healed. And I think that. This was a very commonly prescribed intervention a while back, maybe even over the past 20, 40 years, things have changed. But what they realized is that when people are doing absolute rest, when they're resting from an injury or resting from pain, is that if they rest too long, there is a few psychological downfalls, as in it may create fear avoidance, it may create hesitancy to pursue that activity again. And it creates a sense of sometimes feeling either helpless or sometimes feeling depressed or anxious about it. Because if let's say you're giving up, let's say if I was injured and I didn't know about physical therapy and I injure my knee and it stops me from playing basketball, basketball for me is a huge aspect of my life. I grew up playing it. My dad put a basketball into my hand when I was three years of age. So if somebody or even some injury took that away from me, that obviously creates a lot of psychological negative downfalls that creates again, anxiety that maybe like that, let's say that used to be my outlet for stress relief. I lose that ability to let that. And therefore that knee injury, because I'm stressing more creates headaches. It creates tension in other areas. It creates a lot of different hormonal changes. It creates changes to the brain. So those are just the psychological things, but outside of also absolute rest, you got to realize that absolute rest, if you're just resting on a couch, is that it generally will create more stiffness. It may probably create more atrophy or create more weakness in the areas that are painful. And therefore, yes, you might feel better while lying down. You might feel better just due to time alone. Time alone heals a good amount of injuries. But when you try to pursue an activity again, You might just immediately injure yourself because you employed way too much absolute rest. Now let's flip this to what is relative rest. Relative rest is if I injure something 90% of the time, I should be doing still something. So whether I need to just gently move the painful area or let's say I employ some sort of like light isometrics or I just modify my workout to an extent, it's finding that window of opportunity to get past that pain much quicker. And I actually spoke about this in my last episode, or maybe it was one to two episodes ago about the window of opportunity in which if you absolutely rest, that's likely to create a lot of negative psychological and physical things in your life. But if you employ relative rest, it kind of empowers you to still move. Let's say if my low back hurt, I can still walk. I can still do certain things. Maybe I can't lift something heavy off the floor, but I can still walk. I can still do some gentle stretches. I can try to explore the motions that my lower back is comfortable with doing. And I continue to rinse and repeat that. And then once you do that, let's say if you're lifting something at a certain weight, or let's say if you were running at a certain speed, or if you're doing some sort of physical activity for a given amount of time you can just reduce that temporarily. You can reduce the time, you can reduce the load, you can reduce the resistance, the speed. So there's just a lot of ways in which you say, okay, that feels better on that painful area if I just take little steps backwards in order to long-term move forward. But if you take way too many steps backwards, AKA that's also with just absolute rest, then again, that's likely to create a lot of negative things down the road. Okay, so I wanted to answer another question, which I really appreciate this question. Should I foam roll before working out? And I don't think that there's anything wrong with foam rolling. I myself actually foam roll my back multiple times a day. I do feel that with regards to foam rolling before a workout, it just depends exactly what you're foam rolling for and what's the indication. Let's give a good example. Like why would you foam roll? I like to foam roll my upper back and stretch it out and actually bend backwards over a foam roll to help with my overhead press. Overhead press requires shoulder flexion. It requires a lot of overhead shoulder mobility, but also it combines thoracic extension. So if I'm gonna do any overhead press, if I don't loosen up my upper back with the foam roll, then I may create some compensations and then my shoulder might hurt. So that would be a good indication of foam rolling, which is using the foam roll to gain some sort of actual mobility, using that foam roll to essentially gain like, I'm actually actively moving with that foam roll. Now let's talk about the flip side to foam rolling, which I see way too many people do, which is if they're doing a leg day, they're foam rolling their IT bands for five to 20 minutes or they're foam rolling their quads and they're foam rolling their calves. And yes, it feels good. It feels like you're breaking things down, but realistically that doesn't do much and it's not the best use of your time. So give you an example, like I was foam rolling my calves and my quads prior to running, it may create some temporary increases in range of motion. It probably can increase blood flow to an extent because you're actually, actually putting direct pressure onto those tissues, but I would rather do things that replicate the demands of what I'm about to do. So if I'm going to run... I may employ some sort of like dynamic running stretches. I may employ like the ABCD drills, right? Something that's actually more dynamic and that's going to prepare my tissues and my tendons for those demands. So again, foam rolling, if I'm foam rolling my my lats, I'm foam rolling my forearms, I'm spending like, again, five to 20 minutes. Some people spend way more time than that on foam rolling these areas. Okay, one it's a myth that you're breaking down any tissues. You're not really... You're not like breaking down any adhesions or scar tissue or anything. You're just creating a novel stimulus that temporarily increases your range of motion, but you don't necessarily need to increase your range of motion. And that kind of depends on the task at hand. So, should I foam roll before working out? It really honestly depends. If you're using the foam roll really to, bend backwards over it, or you're using the foam roll to assist with more rotation, more side bending or more rotation of a certain joint that you're going to use. I respect that. But if you're foam rolling just to tenderize tissues, you're just cramming down into the tissues. I'm not sure if that's the best use of your time. And you could probably be using that time towards more effective means like dynamic stretching or some sort of actual warmup that replicates the demands of what you're going to do. All right. So number three, how to recover from patellar tendonitis? I just randomly grabbed this comment and it is a very common ailment that many people go through. In fact, I think it's one in four, one in five people actually have some sort of knee pain in their life. And oftentimes it does appear as patellar tendonitis. So what is patellar tendonitis? It's basically you have your quadricep, which is your thigh muscle that's in the front. You have your kneecap called your patella. And then underneath your patella, you have this tendon or they actually call it a ligament. It's called a patella ligament where that patella ligament attaches your patella, that floating bone, and attaches it down to your shin, which is called your tibia. Now, when you do way too much jumping, running, basically anything impactful to the front of your knee, that can cause irritation, which then causes irritation to that ligament. And so what do you do for it? How do you recover from it? One is, again, finding windows of opportunity. It's finding the right amount of stress that will allow your knee to feel better, but not overstress it to the point where it gets more irritated. So common mistakes is you run, you feel some patellar tendonitis, you rest for a number of days, that pain goes away. But like I said, you're absolutely resting or just throwing an ice pack or heat pack onto it. And then you decide to run at the same exact speed, duration, you're employing the same frequency of how much you're running. And that to me is a mistake because you haven't really strengthen the tissues in any way you haven't really employed any dynamic stretches to address the root cause so that's not really smart so what you need to do is modify load you can employ isometrics so things like wall sits or spanish squats even single leg squat isometrics like i find those are pretty useful if that's too hard you can do lunge isometrics instead so just hold in place load up that tissue see how it goes another thing you do is with the leg extension machine the machine basically where you're kicking out and straightening out your knee, that directly loads your quad and your patellar ligament. So that's another thing that you can use, which is you can try to load that up to a weight that you can't even budge, not even budge for one rep. And you can try to push against the padding of that leg extension machine for 20 to 60 seconds. And that's been shown to reduce pain quite effectively, which is called an isometric or an overcoming isometric. And it has some analgesic or pain reducing properties that can immediately reduce your knee pain. Now, once you find that window of opportunity, you feel more, more confidence in terms of loading that knee. So therefore you slowly transition back towards that activity that previously caused you pain. So it's not enough just to say, I'm going to exercise, my pain goes away, but try to slowly transition yourself back to that activity that previously caused that discomfort in the first place. Why is that? Because it's empowering. It's self-efficacious. You start to install an intrinsic belief in yourself that I did this exercise. So therefore getting back into this and doing that pain-free creates a sense of empowerment, right? And a sense of autonomy as well. Okay. So that's my really quick rants on patellar Secondary things and tertiary things that you can still do is not just directly load that area still strengthen your hamstrings. Your glutes is still a powerful extensor. So if you have Poor glute strength, you're technically putting more stress to the quads, the patella, along with the hamstrings, right? So you want a strong glutes. You definitely, if you're if you're a running athlete, a sprinter, somebody that's a multi-directional athlete. So basically anybody that puts their feet on the ground and moves quickly. If you have patella tendonitis, you'll definitely want to still strengthen your calves and your feet. Your calves is essentially the main type two lever that really generates a lot of load that directly like translates to everything up above kinetically. So Definitely with regards to your calves are super neglected. I find that people focus way too much on the glutes. They praise the glutes. It's on social media all over the place. But calves, is that's the key. Strengthening your calves definitely decreases the brunt of the load on your patellar, your patellar tendon, uh, your patellar ligament, your quads, as well as your hamstrings as well. So if you don't want any injury, definitely still strengthen your calves. All right. So my last and final question is yoga for neck pain. So it's like yoga for neck pain effective. I think so. I think that yoga is definitely a great alternative. I find that there is a number of different stretches and poses that I definitely like to employ once in a while myself. Like I love to do pikes. I call them pikes, but I think in the yoga terms, it's like a downward dog. So when you do that, it promotes scapular upward rotation. It employs some sort of like upper trap and even like serratus contraction. And also it gets a good amount of stretch in your upper back and your neck. So I love doing that. I actually employ that one a few times a day. I also like warrior two. I think it's warrior two where you're like, you're doing some sort of upper back rotation and kind of opening up your arms. So I think that regional interdependence basically means that if you have neck pain, Yeah, get other areas moving too your torso, your rib cage, your shoulders as well. And I think that loosening up all those structures definitely will still give some relief to the neck indirectly. But what I say yoga for neck pain is my favorite, probably not. And I'm going to share just my very transparent thoughts. And hopefully I don't get a bunch of tomatoes thrown at me. But in terms of yoga, I find that one, it's not directly strengthening the area. And for me, somebody that has had chronic neck pain for years, have tried multiple things, massaging it out, getting some chiropractic work is I didn't find any true long-term benefits from any passive treatments out there. But what I did find is long-term benefits was me strengthening my neck. And I realized I had my own epiphany of when my neck is the most kind of slender part of my spine, many people are afraid or they're hesitant to strengthen their neck. People aren't afraid to really, let's say, load up their quads for squats, or they're not afraid to build really strong biceps. People are not afraid to do lat pull downs, right? Just to strengthen your lats. But I would say that people with chronic neck pain generally feel like their neck is feeling more fragile and they don't have the confidence. I was gonna say the balls, but they don't have the confidence to strengthen their neck. And when I saw things like demolition derby drivers that kind of run into each other for fun, right? It's pretty exciting. There is actually research that shows that when you're in a car accident, most people will get some sort of neck pain. But with demolition derby drivers that do this for a living, is that their neck does adapt to that type of really violent stress and also doing it for fun. So the research, actually, the research in terms of the epidemiological studies, demographic studies shows that 90% of demolition derby drivers have no neck pain whatsoever. It's only a really small 5 to 10% that actually have neck pain. That's pretty crazy, right? Because psychologically, they're having fun and also physically i think they're prepped for those demands. And then you look at soccer players, which i had my own epiphany about soccer players is that i saw this guy that got mad at the referee and he literally slammed the guy down to the floor with his head. Like he actually headbutted him in the chest, knocked the referee de- referee to the ground. <clears throat> when i see that, i'm like, what? If They can do that. Like why should it be, what why should i be worried about stressing out my neck? So i realized that Strength training was the most effective means for my neck. I started to do many different exercises, like shrugs, for example, a very common exercise in the gym. I can now do, I think a 455 pound shrug. When people say, doesn't that cause too much stress to your neck? I feel like that's going to like damage your neck in the long term, but they fail to realize that I had chronic neck pain in the past when I was just stretching it out or just getting passive treatments. And I started to strengthen and slowly progress the load on my neck and my neck felt incredible. Right. So yoga for neck pain, one is I feel like it just doesn't stress it enough. I don't think it employs the right strength, the right strength stimulus to actually get long-term benefits. You might feel better with the pike. Same like people feel better just with a little bit of stretching, right? Stretching feels good, but strengthening creates that long-term benefit and creates long-term pain relief. The second thing is in general yoga, it's I think a good amount of them, they have a sense of staying lean. I'm not going to generalize, but I've seen very strong yoga enthusiasts and I've seen very lean. And I do find that a lot of the people that are very big yoga enthusiasts tend to have more neck issues. It's like, they don't strengthen their neck very much. They don't strengthen their lower back. They don't strengthen their hamstrings. If anything, they stretch their hamstrings too much. And they wonder why they have like crazy amounts of sciatica. And then they're just perpetuating the same issues by stretching their hamstrings even more, which creates more instability, which creates more low back pain, which then creates more sciatica. So I've seen that before way too many times. I've seen a a woman come to my clinic and she came to me and she's like, I have really tight hamstrings. I have like crazy amounts of like pain going down my legs. And you test her, like you test straight leg raise, which is like how much hamstring length she has. And she can get her knee to her chin. And as you clearly don't have tight hamstrings, I think you need to do something else. I think you need to probably strengthen your hamstrings instead. Long story short, it's that I think yoga, majority of the cases, there are certain poses and there's certain dynamic movements that I love to do and employ throughout the day. But I will say that strength training is still at the forefront and that you can still do yoga. It's just that I prefer that you do some sort of strength training consistently as well so that. Maybe you can continue to do yoga for a longer period of time, or, or maybe you can just pair it up where you're doing your stretches with yoga, but you're also doing some strength training as well. Okay. So that's what I got for you guys today. Hopefully just to answer these four questions. And I'd love to hear your feedback on this Q and a, just to let you guys know, I got a lot of these Q and a from Instagram DM. So feel free to DM me on Instagram flex with Dr. J. And I got majority of them actually from my Facebook business page. So it's facebook.com slash dr So that's Dr. Jason Wan. And I got a lot of a lot of feedback and a lot of comments from there. So I definitely appreciate. Keep the comments going. That's going to allow me to feel more of these podcast episodes. And if you guys have any questions, again, feel free to shoot me a text, 415-965-6580. Like again, please send me some feedback on whether you like this QA episode. I intend on doing this one maybe let's say once every two to four weeks. But we'll see how that goes, depending on the feedback that I get. And uh, I'll leave you always with these last words of advice. We only have one body, one life. Make every action you take be one that makes you a better version of you. Take care.